Just as we start to think we've cracked the formula for the Temporary Fandoms podcast, we decide to do something completely different and considerably more complicated. This episode features 12 contributors spread across three continents, from the US to Vietnam. So yeah, it was hell to make. We'll let you be the judge of whether it was worth it. By now you probably know the brief. We take an artist and listen to their complete discography. Then we distill it down so that you can get a comprehensive overview of an artist's career. The highs and lows, the bangers and the bollocks. Except in this episode, that's not what we're doing. Instead, we're listening to the entire 2020 Mercury Prize shortlist. Right now, you might be wondering why anyone would do that. I often ask myself the same question. But we've rounded up a posse of 10 fans daft enough to try it, and we hope that after listening to today's podcast, you'll want to do the same. So join me, Nick Hilditch, my co-host Ewan, and a load of other idiots we'll introduce you to shortly for a Temporary Fandoms podcast special on the 2020 Mercury Prize. decided to do something else hello there welcome to temp fans the podcast um bonus mercury episode one or mercury sessions i think we decided to call them um and there's this one and there'll be another one out in a few days um nick do you want to do the admin parts <laughs> all right well basically this is the bit where we remind you that the best place to listen to the podcast is on spotify basically because we edit it into a playlist and then you can hear it with all the original music that we're talking about and frankly that'll be a bit of relief from just listening to us go on about shite um but the podcast is available anyway in all the kind of usual places that you can find podcasts but you know spotify is the place to listen and also there's a Facebook group. Um, so obviously we've now bigged up Spotify and we're bigging up Facebook, two of the most no, alternative and crazy scumbag places. We're no, we can't problem, say that. We're part of the problem. Oh, shit. I do go on about how much I hate Spotify and, play, uh, and Facebook, and now I'm basically telling people to go and join that Facebook group. And there's our fucking sponsorship deal. And go to Spotify. Um, if anybody wants to sponsor us, that isn't Spotify and Facebook. We'll try not to slag you off. Um, so yeah, go and find us. So if you've listened to our previous episodes, uh, we have ESG and we have the Pogues. So they're very good places to start. And as we have mentioned before, what we tend to do is somebody will take us through the entire discography or history of an artist and we'll listen to some songs, we'll have some discussion. Um, what we're doing for these two episodes is focusing on the UK Mercury Music Prize 2020. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's an annual prize that was set up to uh, award the best album from England and Ireland, um, or Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, rather than the most successful. Uh, it was sort of the antidote to the Brit Awards, or I would say in America, maybe the antidote to say the Grammys. Um, that has been going since 1992. 
ish and there have been some very good winners who have gone on to great things and there have been some people who have disappeared into obscurity um what we have done for these two sessions is we have dragged in um a collection of willing volunteers and not so willing volunteers to introduce each album and discuss them we have three different sessions uh, recorded over three different time zones including 12 different people it was a bit of a logistical nightmare we have the occasional sound quality dips that you might imagine with people on different uh, recording devices but i think it's 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 come together it's come together relatively well um nick the mercury prize um <laughs> What's the point? It's a good question. Um, sometimes when, when I say we're going to listen to the Mercury Music shortlist, I get a feeling that some people are a little bit, really? You know, what's that? What's that for? Why would you do that? There's a little bit of cynicism about it. But to be honest, I can't think of any other way of it so efficiently of just getting us to listen to 12 contemporary records that somebody somewhere thinks think are great. It's across a whole range of genres. It gets the group to kind of confront their prejudices about different music styles, which I think is quite an important part of what we do as well. Because, you know, it's, you go in with your assumptions about records, but this is an opportunity to say, well, I'm actually going to listen to this record properly now and engage with it. And at the end, you might still hate it. But I think, I think what we do, a lot of it's about trying to find new stuff. And that can sometimes mean also listening to genres you wouldn't normally listen to. And, I think uh, that's a good point. I think, um, I mean, if you look at this year's shortlist which we'll obviously go through over these two episodes um there's nothing that you would really classify as as uber mainstream even the sort of the mainstream indie ones i'm just having a look at the first the, the first shortlist back in 1992 mm-hmm. which was won by primal scream with screamer delica yeah. other bands on that shortlist were u2 oh, simply wow. red okay. <laughs> um uh, Erasure and Jesus and Mary Chain. Uh, the next year, won by Sway. We had. It's not how I remember it. You know, I kind of yeah. remember it back then as being kind of indie alternative, leaning with a bit of jazz. Well, then when you go into the next year, uh, Suede won mm-hmm. with Suede, but we also had uh, runners-up, including Sting. Wow. East 17. <laughs> um, and then people like New Order, etc. Okay. Um, Maybe I didn't notice until about the third year or something. It's like, and they, they kind of worked out what they were about. But obviously they kept giving it to the indie records early on. Well, they did. And going through the previous shortlist, and I think this year's shortlist is good as well, it's a very good snapshot of a time. So you go back to the early 90s, we had Primal Scream and then Suede. And then in 94, we had M People winning. The, yeah. That was the acid jazz year. Yeah. Um, and then 90... Yeah, they did. That was the first year we... where everyone was like, well, that's not what the Mercury's about, and which is good. I think good on the Mercury Prize panel for kind of not letting themselves be kind of hemmed into an idea of what they were about. Because the mix of genres is one of the things that makes it appealing. Absolutely. And then in 95, when we had shortlist that included Oasis, Elastica, Supergrass, uh, Portishead one. Then we've followed by, I'm just going to go through a few, Pulp, Ronnie Size, Uh Gomez, Talvin Singh. Uh, That was 99. Badly Drawn Boy in 2000. PJ Harvey, 2001. 2002, we had Miss Dynamite. (laughs) Followed by Dizzy Rascal, Franz Ferdinand. Anthony okay. and the Johnsons, Arctic Monkeys, 
although Richard Hawley was robbed. The Claxon, really, the Claxons won. Oh, my Apparently. God. Um, 2008, Elbow won. Now, mm. the early Elbow albums are albums I adore. The later ones, I think, are just a little bit boring. My wife and I were very drunk watching the 2008 Mercury Prize, and when Elbow won, we literally punched the air with joy. Um, <laughs> the, the next year, Speech to Bell. Exactly. Beautifully, you um, I, I, I remember it. That was actually the period that I, I didn't listen to any of the albums on that short list, and I looked at the name. I went, "Speech to Bell." She's a, uh, yeah, that's just different from the previous years. Uh, and then finally, we've had the XX, PJ Harvey again, Alt J, James Blake, Young Fathers, Benjamin Clementine, yeah. uh, Skepta, mm-hmm. Sampha. Wolf Alice, oh my God, Wolf Alice yeah. one. That was that was a terrible record. Bad, yeah. um, and then last year, when I, um, Dave, Dave, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> um, th- this year there is a combination of token jazz records. There's there's some soul. There's some folk. There's a lot more pop than has been on some previous years. There's a couple of uh, of token indie bands, and um, I think it's quite interesting to listen to and unless you've got anything else to say nick we'd probably best get out we of the way and, and introduce our first um our first group yeah okay okay then so um what we've got now is four of the first people who are going to curate uh, we're going to have a quick introduction to see who's here. Um, first of all, we've got Zoe, who you might remember from the impeccable ESG curation. Hey, Zoe. Hi, how's it going? Not too bad. We've got Tim. Hey, Tim, Hello. how are you? Hi. Yeah, I'm good. How are you doing? Not too bad. Uh, let's, we're going to assume I'm not doing too bad. Nick, Nick, obviously the co-host of this. Hello. Hello. And finally, we've got Aaron. Hello. And just so everybody knows how much of a logistical nightmare this entire two episodes was to record in terms of time zones. Zoe, where are you? I'm in Hong Kong. Tim, where are you? In Vietnam. Aaron, where are you? I'm in Norway. Nick, where are you? Hungary. And I'm in Spain. And I'm going to do this every seg- every segment. So um, just to point out that we actually do some work with this. Okay, we're going to get on and try and keep my speaking to the minimum this time. So we're going to go straight on to Zoe, who's going to introduce the first album. We'll have a bit of a chat about that. Zoe, what is the first Mercury nominee that we're going to discuss? Okay, it's Stormzy. Stormzy, you know, all know Stormzy. And uh, the album is Heavy as the Head. It's his second album. So, yeah, he ha- it's not his first time at the rodeo. And how, how long has it been since, since his first? I mean, what, what's the time difference between the debut and his, his, his sophomore? You know I can't remember. I don't think it's been that long. I think it's a few years, but I can't remember the gap. But he released this album in late December 2019, so sort of pre-COVID times and it went to number one in the UK albums chart so I think it was quite popular it kind of passed me by actually because I'm not in the UK and I think he's quite sort of he's a bit of a UK phenomenon Uh, was it last year he did Glastonbury Uh, this is when I do my usual I'm the idiot who doesn't know what's going on he did Glastonbury last year was it or the year before 
I think it was last year because he had his special vest on, didn't he? And yeah, um, yeah. I thought that was last year. Yes, yes, he did. Um, Do you um, want to just take over here? Because <laughs> <laughs> just as a caveat, because we're, as a caveat, because we're on slightly different time zones, um, some of us are sort of European midday, and some of us are drinking in Hong Kong. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, some people do drink in Hong Kong. You know, what can I say? Um, so, um, it was his second album. This is the one that gets the Mercury Nod. He's, he, he is massive and much beloved by many. He's, he's headlined Glastonbury. Um, what were your thoughts when you listened to this? What were your takeaways? What did you think? Was it any good? Do you think it should win, could win? Why is it on the Mercury list? So we'll start can with I the first honest? Can I be honest no. with you? I, I don't think it's his best work. I think he's talented. I think... I, do you know what? I just wish he'd find a really good producer that could do him justice, because I don't think this album does that. And I also suspect that it's a little bit of a, an artistic compromise in the sense that perhaps the commercial element is kind of writ large on this album. So um, I don't know. I, I think he's talented, and I don't want to say a bad word against him. And in fact, when I did my very um, kind of scientific Facebook poll, just to get a feel for what people think of Stormzy, like, everyone fucking loves this guy. Everyone loves him, right? So I don't really... And, and I kind of asked these, these hardcore Welsh... Valley's hip-hop crew what they thought of Stormzy and it was quite interesting because they were saying I can't knock him, I can't say a bad word against this guy, but I don't like his music which is interesting right? Well, but I mean uh, we're, we're, we often get in, well people often get in arguments about really good work done by complete arseholes, so I suppose the opposite can be true. Exactly exactly. Do we think do we think that as you said, maybe it's a bit more commercial. When I was listening to it, what struck me not so much was how it was more commercial, but how it was more international. That maybe it sounds more commercial because it's less grimy, I guess would be the word, less UK-centric. But is that because now he's sort of obviously uh, more co- known in the States? He has more American friends. He's got American producers working with him occasionally. Is it more of an international thing rather than a commercial thing? Or... Am I totally going down the wrong track? It, it could be, but to me, it's still a compromise. To me, like, I think he started off. He started off as like a road rapper, if you know what that is. So his kind of entry into the 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 MC type scene was a road. He he did road rap. So there's all these kind of subgenres, and then he. Did I'm, I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump in because Nick's face and my face are exactly the same. Um, I don't know what a road rapper is. Well, you probably have to just go and listen to it, right? Because it's pro- it would just probably sound like hip hop to you, but it's a particular kind of. Well, I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't. Maybe you would. You would see the subtleties. But it was a type of rap, and then he switched to grime, and that's when he kind of got successful. So I'm not really sure why he's doing this thing that to me seems like a mix of lots of different stuff it's quite r and it's, it's demographics quite, isn't it it's it, it will hopefully sell better right i should have well, mentioned yeah i mean 
to me, it's like, has this been focus grouped or something? I don't know. And, and therefore, because it's compromised, to me, it, it, its impact is lessened. Mm-hmm. But what, what, did you, what did you think of the album? Um, I it was all right. <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty much what you said. Is like, you know, everyone likes the guy. I like the guy. But his music, it's not that interested. You know, it, it's, it's, just, like it. it's just there. It was a bit boring, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, it's quite boring, and I feel quite sad about that because he's obviously super talented. And so I just think if he had the right combination of producers and and wasn't so keen to play to the gallery, then... If you make a grime album that I, I, I guess some of us would like to hear, like a proper hardcore sort of grime album, then it wouldn't it wouldn't be up for the Mercury. He wouldn't have he wouldn't be headlining Glastonbury, you know. Like okay. so we're, we're kind of so we're kind of saying, you know, do we want him to be successful or not? Because <laughs> he's got obviously the right to be successful because he's got that charisma, but that means well, he can't make a full on fuck you hardcore grime album because nobody would buy it. <laughs> Sure, but what about Boy in the Corner by Dizzy Russell that won the Mercury Prize in two thousand? That was a long time ago. Yeah, and that was a, that well, was so a, it can a never happen sound. again. I'd love it to happen know, but, again. But I don't think that I don't think Boy in the Corner compromises in any way. Like the sounds, it's pretty. It's a tough listen. It's yeah, way yeah, yeah. too long. So I don't necessarily think that it's that. I just think that. I think he's I mean, walking could, that line. But could, I do want him to be successful, absolutely. Like, could, could we also even argue, even though that's not one of the ones we're going to talk about in, in this segment, that it's not even the best grime-influenced album in this year's nominees? Yeah. Uh, Maybe. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, don't you think that, that if maybe if Stormzy did make that hardcore grime album, it would be successful because it's by Stormzy. That yeah, might absolutely. be the thing that brings it fully to the mainstream. That really makes maybe it the next one of the genre. What he said. Maybe the next one. Yeah. Go through that arc of become successful, and then they go right. This is my proper album, and then totally divide and lo- divide the nation, lose a lot of the people who turned up because Ed Sheeran was on a track. So yeah, I, I, I'd be happy if the next album is just full of Ed Sheeran beef tracks. That would be great. <laughs> Bit of a lukewarm reaction so far. Um, we're going to move on and see who Aaron is bringing to the table. Aaron. Hi. Um, we're going to be discussing uh, Michael Kiwanuka's third album, Kiwanuka. Uh, if you don't know, Michael Kiwanuka is a... 32-year-old British singer-songwriter. He's the son of Ugandan refugees, and he was raised on the tough streets of North London's Muswell Hill of Kink's lore. Uh, He spent his time as a journeyman, as a session guitarist, and he released his first album, Home Again, in 2012, which followed in 2016 by Love and Hate. Both of them went gold in the UK. He's he's really no stranger to the Mercury shortlist, as both were nominated. This year finds him nominated for the third time with his most recent self-titled release. His previous album, Love and Hate, brought him a ton of press, and after Cold Little Heart was used as a theme for the television program Pretty Little Liars on HBO, Kiwanuka even began to gain attention in the United States. All eyes were on him to make a worthy follow-up. I'd have to say that in pretty much all ways, Kiwanuka betters his predecessor. Uh, the songwriting is more direct, the melodies are more immediate, and it still retains that sprawling, lazy, stoned haze of the earlier albums. It delivers an updated version of a socially conscious R&B folk hybrid of the early 70s. It's an album that's kind of haunted by the ghosts of Terry Collier and Curtis Mayfield. 
it does feel like a better sequel to Love and Hate. Uh, much of this is the result of him once again partnering up with Danger Mouse and Inflow, the later of whom seem to be involved in nearly anything cool coming out of London. He was the primary producer of last year's Grey Area by Little Sims, which is also nominated for the Mercury Prize, and he was the supposed mastermind behind the anonymous funk collective Salt. Uh, this album is just immaculately produced. I think the guitar sounds, it sounds like they're lifted straight up from hot buttered souls. The backing vocals, they kind of seem like they'd fit at home in What Color Is Love. It just seems to avoid some of the sentimental excesses of a lot of those classics. It's got the strings that you'd expect, but the arrangements are a bit more tasteful and they're not as overbearing. I think what I love most about this is a proper album um, in that old school sense. The whole thing kind of feels like a journey. This is one where you just kind of skip around, but you just let it play. All the songs are kind of flowing together in these suites, bridged together by interviews. Inter. Bridged together by interludes. You can cut that there. Oh, uh, you can were. chop this up if you want, but I think the songs, they all stand alone on their own. But why would you want to? It's not like you're going to put on an album like the first track on what's going on and think, well, that's kind of enough of that. Uh, this may be why none of the singles have really sold at all, um, but it stands as number two album in the UK. Um, I think there's some towering achievements on here. The opener, You Ain't the Problem, with its Curtis Mayfield groove is, is just infectious. It grabs you from the start and just that momentum keeps you through. Uh, Piano Joint is also a song of note. I think it was so moving the first time I heard it. I literally dropped everything I did and played it five times in consecutive uh, fashion once after another. Um, Hard to Say Goodbye is just this classic soul epic in that walk-on-by mold. But it, although it's crammed kind of in the middle of the album, so it does take away some of the momentum. Um, I notice that when I talk about this album, I'm constantly comparing it to its influences. And I think despite the fact that Kiwanuka is an amazing songwriter with a golden voice, he, he's a real unique talent. He doesn't really cover any new ground here. Um, as one of our members put it so perfectly, he said he likes it because it sounds old. And as someone who's kind of old, it resonates with me. Um, I've posted songs from this on my Facebook page, and the response has been just a bunch of 40-year-olds saying they love them. Um, considering that the average age of the judging panel is 42, I've uh, calculated it, I'd have to say it kind of bodes well for Mr. Kiwanuka. Uh, the album's been a critical smash. It's been landing on most of the end-of-the-year lists last year. It's a safe choice for the panel, primarily because it's just a great album. Um, I don't really want to bring politics into it, um, but this is 2020, and I don't think we can escape it. And, you know, for if for some strange reason this podcast does stand the test of time, uh, we are in the middle right now of worldwide demonstrations against racism and police brutality. And even though I don't think it will be a conscious influence on the voting, the fact that this is a socially conscious album filled with lyrics about the Black experience, I think it'll only work in the album's favor. And I would personally get a particular joy seeing the UK-born son of African refugees win this prestigious award right on the eve of Brexit. I think the only thing more satisfying would be if his name was Michael Minkiewicz. Um, I think the safety of this choice might work against it. It doesn't cover any new ground. Um, but I'd like to argue that despite its 70s influence, it doesn't actually sound like an album from the 70s. I think Final Days in particular is a wonderful marriage of kind of retro and modern. Um, but I don't see it as being too much of a factor as this list is pretty retro this year. Um, I think the most damning thing is it's the uh, quality. Um, it's a bit of a joke, but looking back at the history of winners, how many times did they actually choose an album that turned out to be a classic for the Mercury prize? Maybe the Arctic monkeys in 2006. Well, I have a feeling that this album is going to be a classic. And I think that makes it doomed to lose. 
obviously, obviously, Arctic Monkeys was a good album that year, but as they themselves said, Richard Hawley was robbed. Um, thanks for that, Aaron. That that was great. That was there's a lot in there that I want to sort of dive into. I like a lot of people um, listening to that album this year was one of those people who own who first heard anything he did as the soundtrack to Pretty Little Liars. I just assumed it was just some some American guy who they've just they've just got in. Um, I think you make a good point about why would you want to chop it up? It works really well as 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 an entire album. We are going to make you to choose two songs to go onto a playlist and literally chop those up. So you're going to have to decide which are the best two, I guess, or the most representative. And yeah, as you said, I mean, I heard lots of influences. I heard lots of, lots of uh, Marvin Gaye, lots of Curtis Mayfield. Um, I think, yeah, it was at times maybe, this sounds a bit trite, but achingly beautiful, but yet not mawkish at the same time. Mm. Um, wasn't really sort of trying to give answers to the problems, was just sort of ruminating and mulling over um, the experience or, or, or his experiences or, or, or life experience in general. Um, what does everyone else think about this at the moment? Nick, you're leaning forward. Yeah, no, I, 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 re- I mean, I really like it. It's a great album. Um, I'd have been tempted to take it on if Aaron hadn't been so quick. But um, that said, it, it kinda, I kind of warmed to it slowly because I, I really like the previous album. I've forgotten what it was called. Um, but it was I, encou- I first encountered Michael Kiwanuka via the Mercury shortlist of whatever year that was. I think it was like 2017 or 2016. And that one really, really grew on me. And I think by the end, um, it was one of my favorites. That might have been the same year as The Comet is Coming, so he probably didn't place first if it was. But um, for me, forget the actual judgments. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, I really like Michael Kiwanuka, uh, uh, but I don't think I've got a lot to add to what Aaron said. <laughs> yeah, I uh, think it's, it's good. Um, faint praise, I'm afraid. It, it, it's, it's full. Of, it, it, it's um, influenced by loads of stuff that I love. Um, the names you've all mentioned, um, and it just made me really want to go and listen to them. You know, again, it's got nothing to do with his talent. Um, I think actually, the, a lot there's a lot of records on the list this year where there's no there's no denying somebody's talent. It's not a bunch of chances, but that doesn't. It's got a whiff of the dinner party about it. Just you know, and, and sort of a this year's this is the CD or, or you know CD whatever. This is the album you must have this year. There's a little bit of that to it for me, um, which is not his fault. It's just I find no reason to listen to this when I can listen to Curtis Mayfield or the people we've talked about. It's, I don't know, for me to listen to something new when there's such a wealth of stuff out there that we have access to now, it has to be saying something different. Otherwise, I just don't see, I don't see the point. I, I have family members and people I know, but especially some of my family members who never listen to anything old. They're weird like that, but they will listen to an Earthsat's new version of everything. So they'll listen to, um, you know, so like a new soul singer or you know, like an Adele or you know. Uh, Amy Winehouse or whoever and nothing against any of those people particularly but it's like why don't you ever listen to anyone like Aretha Franklin um, or something like that and there's a there's a bit of that you know if you read about Michael Kiwanuka he gets you know he got he got sent out on tour with Adele he got sent out on tour with every, every one of these Ersatz guys that we just get all the time now and I can't help through association of lumping him in, lumping him in with that, you know, it, it's it's just too 
nice. It's too polite for me. It's good music. It's just there's no place in my life for it. Is there a sense is there- that everyone on the Mercury shortlist is just too nice? Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> it could I mean, be I, a I, very I, nice list. list. I did like your point about it being uh, dinner party music, but I will say that, I mean, if you go back, oh my God, I'm old, 25 years or whatever now, Portis Head became dinner yeah. party music. You couldn't go yeah. to someone's house without Portis Head being on. Yeah. Zoe, would you have a? Would you put it on at a dinner party? <laughs> I don't tend to have dinner parties because my flat is too small. But I will say, when I went, when I was last in the UK, I stayed in a bed breakfast somewhere near Llanstefan in Wales, and it's one of those. It wasn't a bed and breakfast; it's like a self catering, and it's one of those where the self catering is separate, but there's a family living in the house. And the woman who was running it used to come and like sort of have a chat while we were trying to cook our dinner. And um, <clears throat> she loved Michael's first album. And she was a woman of a certain age and she'd been to see him live. And I'm not saying anything bad about the artist or this person, but that is the audience. That to me is who it appeals to. So that's just not me. That's just not who I am. So for me, it it always has that kind of feel of, I think, what Tim was saying of, like, if I want to hear something retro, I'll just go and listen to that. I don't need to hear something very, very similar. If it had even more of a twist on it, then I might be a bit more open to it. But it needs more for me. If you took his songwriting and his vocals and you made some really sort of far out music for it you could have almost the same album that would just sound a lot better to me um i think yeah Yeah, i think i agree with that so yes i'd love to see him go in that direction Hmm. do you think i think final days that would be wicked i think final days kind of points on where he could go with the sound because i think that is a good mix of like a, a, a modern type song that still kind of fits into that general retro 70s thing he's going for well i'm thinking of somebody like flying lotus who you know is takes those elements but it's just going forward with it yep. and i know there might there might not be a direct comparison there but there's an essence there of having you know the perhaps the the chord progressions and and, and kind of having a debt to the past but not being beholden to it going somewhere else um, with it. do we not think i mean is there a chance that possibly the production was the issue here having getting people like danger mouse on board um obviously that they, they, they tried to do bring something new into it but then if michael wanted to go in a different direction even with this album having such big name producers on board go no 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 this is your sound let's just yeah. go with this well, I mean, it remi- in, the- that, in that respect it reminds me of the daft punk album you know um, because they got a lot of stick um by basically making a chic album and mm. um and that's not really what people i mean everyone bought the single but that's not really what people wanted from daft punk and then with a couple of years away from it you can go back and see that it is a really beautifully made record um but it still hasn't got that sort of visceral thrill so with this i mean no, danger mouse has done a bunch of stuff that's interesting over the years um but it seems like everyone was on their best behavior for this one well why don't we take that why don't we take that as a i mean it sounds like we've had a very mixed reaction aaron very passionate about it and everyone else in the room going yeah 
wasn't as good as its influences. Why don't we? Why don't we now take? <laughs> why don't we take a little break? Um, the listeners can hear uh, a couple of songs from these and make their own mind up because obviously we're not going to tell them what to think. And then we'll be back in a bit to listen to the next few albums. Okay, welcome back. Hopefully you've come to some form of opinion over the first two albums on the Mercury shortlist. Um, just to remind you who's in the room uh, for this session, we've got Nick, we've got Aaron, we've got Zoe, and we've got Tim. We're going to go straight over to Tim now, moving on to the next one, which is Moses Boyd. Tim. Yeah, this is, uh, as you say, Moses Boyd, his new record, Dark Matter. Moses is uh, an aggravatingly young uh, South Londoner uh, drummer jazz drummer um this is the token jazz record for for the mercury that they always put in i think they um now uh, since i wrote my thing for the website i now i think they actually gave it gave the mercury to a jazz album about five years ago and three people bought it and i think they're never going to do that again so it's doomed it's not going to win um but it's actually one of my favorite records of the year mercury or not um so yeah moses is a drummer and he's played and plays with everybody and there's this whole young south london jazz scene now based sort of in and around peckham which sounds ludicrous but it's true um that you actually get kids going out and raving to at these jazz gigs and stuff. And um, uh, so Moses is in a duo with uh, a sax player called Binker Golding. So he's in Binker and Moses. He's played for a lot of the artists that are, that are, um, that are part of this scene. And this is, I guess his third release under just his own name. Um, he put out an album a while back, which he doesn't, considered to be an album because it's i think over about five years he had recorded various tunes and so this is just a that's just a collection of those tunes and then about three years ago he did an ep which is fully electronic apart from his drums um this one is not quite as far out as that it's certainly he, he produced it he plays on most of it I mean, sorry, he plays drums and all of it, but he plays most of the other instruments apart from the horns and some of the guitar. Well, all the guitar, I think. So any kind of programming and synths and things is him. And all of the other people that play on it are people that, you know, he he phones somebody up or he contacts someone and says, I need a guitar part or I need a piano part. And, you know, he'll go over there with his um, memory stick and or his laptop and he'll go and record one of his mates playing a part for a tune and then over the time he's just assembled all of this so he's produced it he's done basically everything um which is a very obviously very modern way of making a record um and i think it's killer it's um it's not a sort of worthy um that dreaded phrase again coffee table um no it's a banger it's um there is some properly heavy tunes on this if you if you crank it up you can imagine a basement of people proper nodding <laughs> to it and um and just uh yeah um it's and it doesn't seem to be doing very much to cross over apart from just being really good um it's got two or three vocal tracks on it but it's not obvious that those are the ones that are the you know the 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 mainstream 
efforts or the hits or whatever, I would say that there are catchier songs on on the on the album than any of the vocal tracks. Although the vocal tracks are, are great as well, you know. There's one which is, you know, you, you, a fairly typical but interesting sort of female jazz vocal. Then you've got a good apocalyptic style rant. Um, but yeah, mostly it's just. I hope my you know after my critique of the last album, I hope. Uh, I, I think that this one's modern sounding. Um, yeah, it's got it's a blend of electronic and acoustic instruments, and it has it's a jazz record in 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 its way. So obviously, in that case, it will go back to the nineteen twenties or something. But it sounds modern, it sounds new, and it's after a long time of jazz, really not being anything that you'd want to. Uh, fly your flag for um, the last five years or so I've already started kicking up some good stuff so anyway I, I would say this is the third or fourth um, record nominated in the Mercury that's been from this scene so as mentioned the Comet is coming uh, they, were, they were brought up and um, um, Shabak Arching's other band Sons of Kemet I think they were nominated as well so if Shabak has been nominated twice and hasn't won I don't think Moses is going to win but this is genuinely one of my top three records of the year. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's Moses Boyd. Um, I mean, on the picking up on the last thing you said, the Sons of Kemet, which was what th- was that three years ago now? I lost, yeah. I've lost track of when. I hated that. I yeah. I, I really tried. The, the group loved it, and I oh, it's amazing, could, not, could not get into it. Um, whereas I got more into them after seeing them live. I'll say that I I, I I heard the first two albums and thought, oh, that's pretty good. Then I saw them live, and I thought, this is insane. And mm. then it just it, so you know, it's a, it's a common argument, but that's one that hey, but, I, I certainly had it, that for them. But saying that about Sons Again, I loved this album. I love this okay. album so, so, so much. Yes, there is an element that can be argued. I mean, particularly, say, even with the opener, Stranger Than Fiction, it's a, mu- it's a movie soundtrack. That yeah. track, you could very easily hear on a movie ten, 5, 10, 15, or 20 years ago. It, it is an amazing piece of music, but it would not feel out of place in a slightly older uh, setting. Um, interestingly, you said that he assembled that by going around picking things up on flash drives, etc. Is that, do you think, the reason why sometimes I felt it felt, felt a little restrained? I kept thinking he, there was more energy or more something in there that maybe in a live setting, maybe in he a wanted this setting, to be a. Com- I, I'm pretty sure that he wanted this to be a composed album. Like if you listen to Binker and Golding, um, sorry, Bing, Binker and Moses, that's all of those records have got a very live feel and very um, jammed out. Whereas this is composed. This is not, apart from, you know, giving the soloists a set amount of bars that they can play for. Um, it's not that kind of jazz record. It's not really an improvised thing at all. So if you want to hear people, if you want like a free jazz kind of thing, you're not going to get it here. Um, I think that was the point of the thing. I think he has his other outlets like Binker and Moses where they can just go out. Um, whereas this, I think is like, I wrote this, you know, this is a, a composed piece of work. That's what I got from it. Yeah. Um, so Aaron, um, we we weren't as enthusiastic about uh, your choice, saying it was derivative, saying that its influences may have been better. Uh, so we're going to give you first first chance to come in and say how amazing this one was. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, were it not for the Kiwanuka album, this would be my top choice for sure. I love this album. I think it's it's just it's just kicks, man. Uh, you get tracks like BTB and YOYO. I don't know if they want to say YOYO or YOYO, but those tracks are just bangers. They just make you want to get up and dance. I can understand how this stuff is is functioning like rave music coming out of these like basement clubs just people just right. going at it it's just killer i love the percussion um i think it's it's just a great album and i think it has crossover appeal um although as tim said it's it's not in the vocal tracks it's in the instrumental tracks it's just hmm. great melodies great rhythms it's just pumping um the only thing i have against it is some of the guitar gets really kind of like Eric Krasno, Soul Live. I, I do like Soul Live, but it just some of it just has this too smooth feel in the guitars, uh-huh. and I think that contrasts too much with like the just the pumping intensity of the rest of it. And that's my only yeah, complaint it's about not, it. it. Yeah, the guitar playing on it is not like sort of wild psych or anything like that. It's fairly uh, it's fairly locked down, I suppose. Yes. Zoe, um, what do you think about this? I mean, we've we've gone so far. We've gone through Stormzy. We've gone through Michael. Is this the best one so far? Or I really liked this. I think this was my favourite out of uh, four. Um, I mean, I was quite into acid jazz in the nineties, so for me, it's not really it's not alien to me. And I know acid jazz gets a lot of shit in temporary. No, no. Do you remember there was one year everybody was suddenly into acid jazz and then three months later, nobody was into acid jazz. Well, <laughs> it's interesting because I'm trying to make the connection here because I remember going to Giles Peterson's club in like, it was called, was it Bar Rumba? Anyway, it was on a Tuesday Rumba, night. Or something. Yeah. yeah, it was something ridiculous like a Tuesday night. So I used to go to that club and listen to, you know, this kind of thing and and this is kind of a modern version of this so for me it's like it's not to me I think what happened with acid jazz is that it didn't translate well to recording like if you go back and listen to any of it now you might find it quite boring or quite quite smooth but it was all about the live experience yeah. So I'm wondering perhaps if this suffers from that a little bit because I listened to this, I didn't have much time with this album. I think I listened to it twice and I remember really loving it, but I can't remember anything about it. Now that could be me um, being pissed and also <laughs> not having a great memory. It being, rewards a couple of listens, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm the oldest among this lot as well. I'm the oldest person here, so my memory isn't great. So I think it could be one of those albums where you have to spend more time with it in order for its, you know, its charms to open up to you. But I remember thinking at the time out of this four, because I knew that we would all be doing this podcast together, this was my pick. So definitely yes, but I can't remember anything about it. So make of that what you will. Uh, and Nick, would you want to have final words? Uh, what do you think of this? Where, how did this? It's final. I, I, I thought that was clear by now. But um, as I'm here representing the Faye Indie album, I feel kind of bad being the, <laughs> uh, the naysayer for the, uh, the Token Jazz album because I'm, I'm normally a champion of the uh, Token Jazz album on the Mercury shortlist. And um, not that I'm saying that this album wasn't great. It, it's, it's got a lot of good elements. But actually, as, a, as an album as a whole, I, I found it quite mixed. There were bits of it I wasn't so keen on. And in fact, the, it's exactly the songs that or tracks that uh, Aaron singled out are the ones I remember loving, which is BTB and Yo-Yo. There are some really big tracks on there that are exciting. They're full of, you know, they're, they're, they're really, you know, if it was a whole album of that, 
I'd probably I'd probably be singling it out as my favorite album on the list. But yeah, it was probably the stuff that leaned more towards maybe an acid jazz sound, as you as you say, a kind of loungier sort of sound. Um, I didn't I didn't like those so much, I have to say, and I didn't like the songs particularly. And so, taken as an album as a whole, um, I don't feel I can come out gunning for it this year. I much preferred Sons of Kemet. Uh, the Comet is coming. Even last year's Seed Ensemble, I thought, was a for me a more interesting album than this. Okay, so let's, well, as you mentioned that you're the champion of the Faye Indie album in this segment, why don't we move on to the Faye Indie album of this segment? Um, Brighton's finest, or one of Brighton's many uh, indie bands, Porridge Radio. Nick. Yeah, I'm going to take such a hammering from you bastards now, aren't I? <laughs> I, mean, with this uh-huh. I mean, I don't know if they're Brighton's finest. I couldn't, I couldn't honestly say I know much about the Brighton scene right now, but uh, apparently there is a scene and they're part of it. Uh, when I saw the shortlist, I kind of looked at it. The, the only record on there that I knew was the Kiwanuka. And uh, as we know, Aaron leapt on that. Um, and the look in his eye, I, I didn't even dare suggest that maybe I could do that one. It was it was terrifying. Um, so scared was I that I retreated into the safety of Faye Indy. Um, so I listened to the whole kind of uh, shortlist, and I just kind of thought, yeah, it sounds okay. I can probably do that one. But, you know, I was, I was nonplussed at first. And then I listened to it a few times, and one thing that's kind of been nice about how we've uh, approached this immersion is just having one album that you spend some time with I actually came to really love it. And uh, I know it's not going to win. It's not going to win among temporary fandoms as a group, and it's probably not going to win the prize. Um, But uh, I'm here to say that I think it was my favourite album on the list because I've listened to it a lot of times, and the songs just gradually came out, revealed themselves to me, and over time I came to love it. Um, They've got a really silly name. Um, I think that's partly maybe why I kind of chose them as well because I've got a soft spot for bands with names that... um, seemed designed to prevent them from succeeding in life. Um, I was a bitch magnet fan. You mentioned the, the, whether or not there's a Brighton music team. Brighton, uh, there's always been bands coming out of Brighton, but it's never been like the hotbed. Um, you know, I could mention maybe Blood Red Shoes had a couple of good songs. Uh, for you, you get for you, for you get me, Angie? Do I make pronouncing that right? Yeah. Um, Dream Wife. And obviously the Kooks. Who doesn't love the Kooks? Um, I think Let me the, count the ways. <laughs> I, I think the difference for me, maybe with Porridge Radio, is they sound a bit less... They sound English, but there's also a lot of American bands I can hear in there. Um, they're sort of bands, maybe like Speedy Autis, there's sort of a, a, a very bassy, droney sound going through the background that I did quite like. Um, if I was younger, I think I would have pretended to like them so I could go out with a girl. I could see that see, that happening. That probably did happen. Um, I think now I'm like, huh, um, should I pretend to like them to be young and cool? No, there are other young, cool indie bands I, I can sort of like. We put it on in the car. We were on holiday last week. And the first song, which ends in that sort of, uh, what's it? Thank you for making me happy. Is that the yeah. chant that goes over and over? You know, when you're listening to something, you go, oh, it's going to finish after this. Okay, it's going to finish after... My God, they've been doing this for two, for two minutes. And after about four songs, my wife just went, I like, I like the violin in that, that one track. And that was all we could remember. <laughs> I only noticed the violins after about the fourth listen. <laughs> we, just, we just hear differently. <laughs> um, everyone, else, everyone else is rather quiet at the moment. Tim, what do you think? Uh, well, my, my friends have got a really great 
podcast about pop music and top of the pops in particular and they've there been doing no it for a long time <laughs> there were no other podcasts they've been, doing it, for a, they've been doing it for a long time and they and after having to watch many shaking stevens uh, performances they've started to use this to describe anything that is kind of a you know a poor man's this or that so uh, with that in mind i'm just, I'm just going to say shaking echo belly so I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not going to say too much because it, I'm. I don't like this kind of music. You know, um, I went through an indie rock phase in the mid '90s, and I just and all the bands that I still like, I've kind of pretended are not indie rock. You know, like the Pixies, I've decided that they're something else. You know, um, so that I can carry on saying I don't like indie rock. Um, a couple of a couple of bands will occasionally fall through the net, but this isn't one of them. Um, um, and I don't know. I've heard a lot worse than this. I just don't give a monkey's really. It's just it's not something. And I read an interview, and it's you know she's she's a you know she's a charismatic person and uh, and singer, but. It's the same old tired, we're the best band in the world stuff. I did like your point about um, Echo Belly, although I didn't hear Echo Belly as much as I heard Elastica, but obviously... Oh, yeah, maybe. yeah, yeah, sort Because of- that, yeah, I was, like, I was listening to them and then I was sort of going, riding on anything, anything, it's good enough. It's just like that, isn't it? It's that delivery. And that's yeah. what I kept hearing in my head. Um, Nick, um, we don't like it, Nick. We don't like it. <laughs> Oh, Aaron, do you like it? <laughs> I I liked it. I liked it yeah, fine. Anything else? <laughs> I don't want the caveats. <laughs> but like, I mean, this is going to sound bad, but um, considering that I'm the ch- I'm championing the Kiwanuka album, but what I don't like about it is it sounds like it's so derivative of its influences. When you're listening to it, you're like, yep, there's a bit of blonde redhead. Yep, there's a bit of pavement. Yep, pointing out its influences and and none of it feels really original. I think a lot of the dissonance is just there because she's like, oh, we're probably going to need some stuff that sounds dissonant just because you're supposed to have something that sounds dissonant. We're going to be, I don't know, it was fine. Is there an an element of of our age with this though? Because obviously um, I'm guessing everyone's roughly within the same sort of demographic, give or take five years, maybe. But I know when I was younger... The indie band, the bands I liked were referencing back to either Hendrix or what, you know, whatever sort of 60s or 70s bands. And now, 30 years, now, 20 odd years later, or whatever it is, um, I'm hearing bands harking back to the bands I listened to back in the day. The 90s. So, yeah. And yeah. so I'm so sort of dismissing right them with a bat of my hand. But it's always been the way, particularly with rock or indie rock, everyone's always sort of copied something that came before. Whether they gave it a new twist or not, it's, it's very rare that a band comes out, particularly a band with some guitars that comes out, and you go, I've never heard this sound before. Um, well, I'm going to make a prediction. I think, Nick, you're going to really love it now and you're going to kind of champion it and say it's a great album, but I reckon in about a year's time, it's going to be one of those bands where you go... What was I thinking? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like you, you kind of get into it at the time, and then you go, "Oh, bloody hell, porridge radio!" Oh God. I'm going to finish on. I'm going to finish on um, when the picture was posted of the band in the group, um, and they were sitting in a field in flowers with some form of 
what can only be described as they'd covered themselves in glue and ran into a charity shop and came out with whatever had stuck to them. Zoe's comment of, look at them, look at them. And we all went, oh. Oh, I know that, yeah, I feel, I feel quite, you know, I feel a little bit protective of them when I see them and it's just so 90s. But and that's I, it, we, but, but don't we all have that? Like, I don't know. I don't wish like them ill. But in your various cities, where everyone is now, I mean, I know, for example, in Spain, in, in Malaga or in Seville, I know where the young indie kids hang out on a Friday. It's by a shopping centre. I remember the place in Wolverhampton where we hung out on a Saturday afternoon. And now when I walk past them all, um, maybe it's because they haven't turned out to be sort of uh, wankers or whatever. Yeah, they're, they're, they're just sitting there going, oh, I like, I like indie music, me. Look at my long hair. Oh. I, I look at them and go, oh, I used to be that. <laughs> I definitely have that feeling, but come on, this is no My Bloody Valentine. It's not, isn't anything, this album. This is my point. It's like, you look right, but you don't have the goods to back it up. And that well, is my issue. Well, let's hand it, why don't we hand it over to the listener to make a decision? Speak to the mic. <laughs> sorry, why what, we, what were you, sorry, what were you we, going to say? Nick, Nick, oh, you no, said so said they look, they look the part or something, and I was just, I was just refuting that. I think they look terrible. <laughs> Do you? I kind of... They look an absolute I, mess. They're going to regret those style choices in a few years when they grow up and, and learn to kind of dress properly. So why, why don't we, why don't we let the listener have a, have a listen um, to um, Not My Bloody Valentine and some good jazz and make up their own minds and then uh we'll welcome everybody back with a different panel and some other albums uh thanks to everybody here zoe thank you very much uh, thank you Tim, thank you very much aaron thank you very thank much you. nick thank i'll you. see you in a bit with me. <laughs> all right um we'll be back right after this So welcome back. Um, we've changed the team a little bit. We've plucked out some more people from the Temporary Fandoms Collective, and we've got a couple more albums to go through. Um, as we've been doing already, we're going to go around the room and also to re-highlight how much of an annoyance this was to organise uh, where people actually are. So we've got Nick again. Hello, Nick. Hello. Uh, we've got Chris. Hi. Hello. And where are you at the moment? I'm in Leeds, so England. So, uh, yeah. And we got Emily. Hello. Hello. I'm in uh, Washington, D.C. Right. And finally, we've got Brendan. Hey, everybody. Calling you up from Boston, Massachusetts. See, I wish I... That's way better. Can we redo everybody else so it's a bit like that? American. <laughs> um, so first of all, we're going to move on. And in this section, we're going to cover two albums, as, we do, as we've already done in the previous sections. We're going to start off with Brendan. Brendan, who is your band? Uh, why did you pick them? Um, what do you know about them? What do you like about them? Should they win? Should they be on the Mercury Prize? Let's go through all of these things. Who are they? Great questions. All right, let's start at the top. So the group's called Sports Team, and this is their debut album. It's called something, what's it called? Deep Down Happy. I don't know the names of any of these songs. I don't know the names of any of these albums. But what I do know is that this ticks a lot of the boxes of stuff that I liked back when I was in college. I'm an old man now. I'm middle-aged. And like a lot of middle-aged men, we just like listening to music that we liked when we were younger. And Sports Team is doing that for me uh, in spades. Uh, I hear a lot of pavement. They're funny. 
they got a little bit of, uh, you know, sort of Weezer-ish uh, comedy, but maybe not so cloying. I hear a little bit of parquet courts. Uh, it, look, this is well-worn uh, path that a lot of indie bands go down. It, it, it's a group of friends from uh, what school? Cambridge? Yeah, you know Cambridge deal. University, yeah. Yeah, Cambridge University. And you know the deal. They're like way too smart to be in a rock band. And they decide, you know what, fuck it. Let's be in a rock band because, you know, eventually we're going to go do something else anyway. So let's have a blast and get drunk in the meantime. They just happen to have a great front man. Uh, his name is Alex Rice. He does a, a wonderful grade Z impersonation of uh, Jagger. I see a little bit of um, sort of Jarvis Cocker, a little bit of uh, Damon Albarn in there. Um you know, it's uh, like I said. This is a this is we're not reinventing the wheel here. This is if this is if you're into indie, th- these guys do it in uh, do it really well. It's a brief record. I'm gonna say it's like about forty ish minutes. I don't think there's a dud track on it. Got loads of hooks. Uh, I can see why this is an easy nomination. I don't really think it's gonna win um, because I just don't think it. It's the sort of thing that it's kind of like the jazz record where I think they won by being nominated. So now their their profile is a little bit bigger. Uh, I think they were probably I, I don't know in the U.S. their footprint is basically non-existent. It sounds like in England they're like a Radio Six band. So now maybe a few more people. You know, maybe the the audience has gone from like say fifteen hundred to uh, fifteen hundred and five. And those five might be some of the members of uh, people who listen to this uh, or, or prob- podcast, or, or probably even probably even their parents. Which yeah, seems well, to be the way I with think they might bands. be in the original uh, batch of fifteen hundred because they were probably there from the beginning. They probably saw the first show. We've all we all, I think we all have friends who are in a band like sports team, and you know we've been to every one of these basement shows, and we were cheering them on. So I think that's I another think that's reason why it. I like them. They kind of remind me of you know, friends that I would have had back in the day. So I won't humiliate any of them who are listening and mention their names, but just know that I'm thinking of each and every one of you. I think that's it for me as well. Um, Musically, yeah, it it harks back to something I would have listened to possibly mid-90s rather than sort of my a formative indie years, but there is a lot of, there are a lot of bands it reminds me of. I mean, you mentioned a lot of the American ones. Um, I think there's, it's, it took me about 10 minutes to realize what band I was trying to think of. There was a band called the Young Knives who were around in the late nineties, a very English band. And there's one song, I think it's Fishing. And I just could not remember who this band was. And then I found them. I was like, yes, yes, this. And dragged my wife into a room and go, it's this, it's this, isn't it? She was like, yeah, okay. And rolled her eyes and sort of walked off. Um, I think Fishing is my that, daughter's favorite song, by the way. It's a great so, track. You know, I, I like the shouting. Yeah, <laughs> um, I mean... But, They've got so many anthems. I mean, you could you could sing every one of these choruses after three lessons, I'd say. Um, Probably less than three. <laughs> um, well, I do think know. there's a down. I think there's a downside to him. So a part, I, I know you've said you've mentioned the Jagger and the Damon Albarn as the front man. I think at times on stage it looks like he's also trying to evoke maybe Ian Curtis, but he does come across a little bit like the lead singer of the Rakes. If anybody in the UK remembers the Rakes, uh, twenty-two grand job. I think I think was the song. Um, but this is the sort of band that I'm personally glad 
still exists. It's a bunch of people met at college, even though granted some people go, oh, it's Cambridge or oh, posh kids, but a lot of a lot of very good bands met at top universities. There's throwaway indie, they're around for maybe two or three albums, and then they disappear, and then there's another lot that come through. I'm personally quite reassured that this is still going on, but I wonder what everyone else thinks here. Um, Nick, before the break with the other group, um, your indie choice that you were trying to champion uh, was was not well received by everybody. Um, how about this one? Um, I liked it. I mean, um, it was um, kind of, you know, preconcessions before I listened to it. I thought that they, you know, looked, I don't know, like they were, I mean, it's a NAF name, again, like Porridge Radio. So uh, no points. Oh, the name is, this is like a Hall of Fame, terrible band name. Pretty bad band name. (laughs) And and, I mean, my, I have always joked that like the best indie band name that hasn't been taken is called Paneling. And uh, I feel like we are really getting close to the idealized indie band name of Paneling with sports. It's that, that, you know, nondescript, yet somehow descriptive, you know? But, I'm sorry, uh, I stole your... Uh, so, I mean, I found it a surprisingly enjoyable record. It was really good fun. Um, and I kind of, a little bit didn't want to like it, um, but I kind of had to admit in the end that I did. Provoked a really interesting discussion in the group about class and bands, especially in the UK, because, you know, I think a lot of people, once they knew that they'd kind of all met at Cambridge and they were basically rich kids, that, uh, yeah, suddenly something, oh, can I like these guys? Is it okay to like them? Would they be better if they were, like, you know, working class? And um, that provoked an interesting... Yeah, like what, but what was Pavement? Pavement, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, yeah. they're from, like, a very True well-to-do world background, all of them. And it's like, that stuff's, I think, eternal. I don't know if t- uh, sports team is, is the equivalent of, you know, Pavement, but, I mean, no, I think, not. like Ewan was saying, there's a lot of, you know... <laughs> people with money who are able to start a band. That was the thing, that was the point about... you came up, was the fact that, the, especially now, that possibly the, the only people who can really sustain a band is mm-hmm. you have to kind of have some kind of level of independent wealth in order to be able to do this. And that's an incredibly sad thing. It's not necessarily, shouldn't necessarily take away from the bands themselves, but it's a sad thing if people can't get into music. I, I think the days of... Uh, a group of four people from a working class town in the north or middle of England who are able to release an album by the by their mama house, uh, tour for a year, and then have to go back to university. But they had that thing, that financial year or so, where they could just be a band. I think that maybe is disappearing. And might, we might see more bands, particularly in the UK, who are described as middle-class bands, I guess. Um, Chris, have you got anything to say on um, sports team? Uh, it's interesting what you say about the pavement thing, because it got me thinking about the class thing in Britain, because... Objectively, Radiohead are the poshest band you could possibly imagine. They're all massively privileged. They went to really fancy universities, uh, but they don't seem to get the same grief. And I think it comes down to, in Britain, we have like the elite, which is like, I'm not um, agreeing with this phrase, but like the North London liberal elite, which is a very educated, very kind of like liberal elite, which is your Radioheads, your ever. Whereas sports team, I think, have been, have been interpreted as the British elite, like conservative, you know, Cambridge, all of that. And I think pavement are an, an interesting one because, yeah, the pavement are our radio head. They're really posh, they're really privileged, but they seem to get a pass. And I don't know why 
because I could feel myself listening to his album just going, I can't like it because everything about them disagrees with what I believe in. But that just seems really unfair. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It just seems not even given the fact. I, I would like to quick. I would like to quickly counter with Radio. I think Radiohead may be posh, but Cooler Shaker were one of the poshest bands of all time. Yeah, Cooler Shaker. Um, and and was it Keen? Keen was it? Yeah, yeah. There was some really. The, the, a bunch of, to the American to the Americans, we're very obsessed by class in the UK, even though we say we're not. But yeah, we really are. No one likes them either. Do you know what I mean? Like, there was definite divide there about whether it was acceptable to like Keen or not. No, because it was interesting, actually, because I was reading online the other day, um, someone I know on Twitter, who's really into music, and it, it links to this, they were really into Travis. And I thought it was really interesting because much like coming out saying that you like sports team or coming out saying you like Coldplay, in Britain, saying you like Travis would be unheard of. Do you know what I mean? It's a really kind of... And sports team are the same. They've got this problem where it's like, would you accept that you liked them? And again, they're just tied up into this. Would you uh, say the sports team? Would you say the sports team are fitting into sort of this decade's razor light? Because I, I heard, I, I put them in that category. They're not quite the libertines. They're no. more in the razor light group. Or am I just going off on Emily? Um, am, am I losing you here in my pointless uh, indie references? <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Emily. I mean, I was just going to say, it was it, as a uh, an American who's maybe not super keyed into some of like the um, the UK class references uh, in particular. Like, it was very interesting to me to see the uh, the discussion in the group about that because there are so many. Um, I think things that signify something about class in the UK context that I just you know if it were not pointed out to me, I would be completely unaware of it. You know, um, I mean, in terms of the. <laughs> The album itself, I I liked it a lot, but I had some. I feel like this is how I feel about several of the the records of this group. Like they remind me of some other things that I've heard before. But I like those other things, and they're you know like they're doing a good job of that in that that mode. Um, this is something I, that was this is like, something that was brought up in the previous session. Uh, the idea that if a band reminds you of a previous band. Are you going to just go and listen to that previous band instead? If someone reminds you of Marvin Gaye, it's like, oh, I'll just put on some Marvin Gaye. If someone reminds you, oh, this is like Blur, I liked Blur, I'm going to go and listen to Blur. Um, Chris, do you want to finish off? You're leading forward with something to say. <laughs> yeah, it makes you think about something because Zoe said today in the group, um, she made the point about um, it'd be great if you could hear a band without knowing anything about them, right? It'd be great just to go mm. in with totally no preoccupation. And the interesting thing is the first thing I thought about when I listened to sports team was they really reminded me of Art Brute. Like that's the first thing that they really made me think about. The sound, the kind of vocal stuff. And I never questioned Art Brute. I never questioned who he was, where he's from or anything. Whereas with them, because I came in with so many preoccupations, they actually do a lot of things that I probably would like. I quite like that sound. Mm-hmm. I quite like that kind of everyday documentary style, if you will, you know, going to Weatherspoons or whatever he was doing in his thing. But it was just, yeah, it did make me think. And a lot of the albums, actually, in this year's Mercury made me think. I had to just get over some of my previous kind of way of thinking and just kind of go for it. Do you know what I mean? Okay, well, well, it's talking about getting over previous ways of thinking and going for stuff. There's a lot of pop on this year's Mercury Prize. Um, and at times I've been quite dismissive of pop in the past, which, which seamlessly segues into Dua Lipa, um, which I believe is yours, Chris. Why don't you uh, take us away from the indie and move us into something a bit more poppy? 
Yeah, that's bad. We'll cut this. We won't cut this. So my album was Future Nostalgia by Dua Lipa. And uh, I think the idea of nostalgia has taken on much more of a significance in all of this. So it'd be good to come back to that. And um, the reason I actually picked it to do it was, I think I explained this in my intro, was that I basically had no idea what she sang, what she did, but I knew she was famous. Like she's like monumentally famous. Like it's like everywhere you turn, she's there. She's kind of um, guesting on other people's songs. And then during lockdown, I've been having weekly catch-ups with a friend on Zoom, you know, whatever. And he just kept talking about this Dua Lipa album. He kept saying how much he liked it. And it was kind of uncharacteristic for him. You know, I wouldn't have thought that was the kind of thing he was into. So I thought I'd just go for it, really. And I kind of thought, there's other albums on the list I already liked. And there's other albums I thought might be in my ballpark of stuff. So Sports Team really would have been in my ballpark or um, Michael Kimanuka, something like that. I just thought I'd try something completely different. And um, I thought as a way of introduction, I mean, everyone knows it's a very big pop album. I found three interesting facts about Dua Lipa today, which I'm going to share with you as some context, maybe to spark some conversations. Oh, 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 I like that. I like interesting facts about... Um... So, um, her, uh, stu- her sixth single, New Rules, which I've not actually had, um, heard, but was the first single to be a first number one single by a woman since in, that's in 2017 after Adele's in 2015. So the fact there was two years where there was no, um, uh, to be that high in the charts is quite worrying. Um, she performed at the UEFA Champions League final in uh, Kiev in 2018. That was oh, very that's who she is. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I, I, I genuinely had no idea who she was. I'm not in the UK, so I don't, she's passed me by, but I did watch that game of football so sorry <laughs> and she also performed at the formula one singapore grand prix which and then because of that she got involved in a project i'm gonna have to read word for word from wikipedia because it's the strangest thing i've ever heard it says in the same month leaper endorsed british car brand jaguar's new electric car ipace the band created a remix of Leaper's song Want To and launched a service where fans could create their own version of Dua Leaper's song on their Join the Pace website based on their own driving behaviour or the music they listen to and share it on social media. According to her, Jaguar and Leaper set the world record for the most remixed song ever. There you go. There's a, I, I used to work in marketing... I used to work in marketing, and that's the sort of thing I'm really glad I'm not sitting in a meeting while somebody's explaining that, that yeah. that's what's going on. Uh, musically, um, also musically, Chris, what, what did you take out of it? I mean, you, I wasn't aware of her. I, I'm not in the UK anymore, uh, so I'm guessing she's just on programs and things and whatnot. Um, musically, when I heard it for the first time, I thought it's one of the best pop records on this Mercury um, list. I think it's genuinely really good. I was dancing around like a slightly out of shape old fat man in the in the living room while while, while the house is empty. Chris, what did you take out of this? I think it told me that the first time I listened to it, I think it was before as well. I just found it a bit throwaway. Had no time for it. I just thought, you know, this is kind of what I expected. Just some kind of three minute pop songs. And then I kind of took myself out. I listened to it while I was moving. That was the big thing. I went for a walk and I listened to it. And I suddenly was like, all right, I'll give this a go. And then, I don't know, by the end of it, I just thought, as it's well documented, it's kind of like 10 amazing songs and then just one total howler. So I think there's a perfect pop album in there. 
if you take out one song. That's my favorite. And the Howler is? Um, is it called Good in Bed? Yes. Yeah. Now, <laughs> I have to say this now. My main problem with Good in Bed is a totally inappropriate use of the word pipe to describe male genitalia. And it's just totally unacceptable. <laughs> I will let a lot of things go, but I was just not having that. So, But isn't, but isn't that a thing? I would... There was some, I think it was an American sitcom, someone was misusing a phrase and going about laying some pipe or um, he meant sex and she, but, but he was actually saying having, a, I think it might have been Brooklyn Nine-Nine. This has turned up in my conscious in the last in the last year. Um, Brandon, is, is pipe an American term for male genitals? <laughs> Probably. I don't, I don't think it's a particularly American thing. I think it's just a you're, you're kind of run-of-the-mill double entendre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, probably. It's also, also, let's be honest, youth speak. I mean, I teach teenagers and they still come out with it. I go, oh, that's what, huh? oh, that's what people say now. Okay. Um, yeah, musically, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed it. Um, Emily, what did you take from this? I mean, did you... Did you think this was one of the better pop ones? I mean, you've got a pop album yourself after the break. Um, what do you think about this one? Uh, so I, I, I liked this one a lot more than I thought that I was going to. I, I, I'll admit that, I mean, for me as well, pop is not, contemporary pop at least, is not necessarily the genre that I listen to the most. Um, but I, it was really remarkably catchy. Like, I kind of didn't want to like it, but then I would find these songs like getting stuck in my head. Um, later on. Um, with that said, I think it's at the point um, in the group where we listened to this album, I had maybe already reached sort of my my own pop sa- saturation <laughs> for a while. Um, and it's, I don't know, I've re- listened to this album a number of times. I don't know if it's an album for me that gets better the more that I listen to it. Like the things that I liked about it the first time around, I still like. Um, but I don't know that it's it's kind of charms are deepening for me yeah i don't think there's anything too deep about it i think it is it's pure pop i mean mm. i mean there's some other bands that we'll talk about to, tomorrow uh in a different session um that maybe are on the more avant-garde side of pop and this is probably pure pop um does anybody have anything else they want to add before we get say, um, it? interesting we're doing it back to back with the uh, sports team because in a way they're both fun albums, you know, they're not serious mm-hmm. albums. They're not like on the list because they're kind of worthy or clever or experimental. They're just fun, just in different genres. Yeah, no, absolutely, totally. Okay, so what we'll do is we'll let the people listening uh, listen to some of our selections from this. And then we will be back in part two of the podcast, which you can listen to tomorrow or in three days. And we'll be covering the other six albums. All right, so uh, see you after this. So that was the end of the first group of Mercury sessions. Um, some opinions, some love, some meh for a couple of the albums. Uh, we've had Moses Boyd. We had Sports Team. We had Porridge Radio, Nick. Yes, Porridge, Porridge Radio. Radio. Um, and they're only <laughs> it, it does seem that way. Yeah. Um, they'll probably win now. Um, we're going to not say too much at the moment because we're going to sort of just wrap up and do some thanks and move on to the next one. Please come back for the next 
episode. We got people such as Laura Marling, uh, Kano being discussed. Um, and there's some, there's some good stuff in there. Um, as I said, I think in the preamble, um, we've had a few technical issues with this because different people were recording with different things and some things have been edited out. So you might find the occasion non sequitur. So thanks to everybody who was involved today. Thanks to Nick and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Whatever. Bye. <laughs>